Recording, recording, recording. Now it's working. Yay. <laughs> don't make uh, fun of me. I don't have to do anything. So rude. <laughs> you, so rude. You do it all yourself. It's not my fault that the microphone automatically is muted when you plug it in. What's up with that? Yeti, your microphones are beautiful, but why are they automatically on mute? Maybe, uh, you know, um, Pam on The Office. Yeah. She'll um, Join let Pam on the office. She'll let Michael uh, do his stupid hello, <laughs> yeah. and then she'll put the person through. <laughs> That's true, and he doesn't do it. I did the same thing. Even it didn't matter. <laughs> uh, didn't. No, you're more tenacious than Michael Scott. That's right, and I'm proud of it. My <laughs> my Pam doesn't work. <laughs> doesn't do its job. Ah, <laughs> uh, Yeti. Oh, Yeti. It's Hysterical History, your favorite podcast with Haley and Alexis. And not learning history. (laughs) Only laughs. Uh, Just us laughing. Yep. That's it. You're you're not going to laugh, just we're going to laugh. Just us. Uh, Which is, I think, the appeal. It's kind of like going to the zoo and you see the monkeys like throwing crap at each other. Yeah. Like, wow, that's so entertaining. I love hearing people I love laugh. Me too. You know, and like real life people, but also like, you know, people I watch on YouTube or whoever. <laughs> you know? I'm just thinking about uh, boys. I showed Wayne that um, the the episode where Red and Link are with the Game Grumps mm-hmm. um, playing Mario and Sonic. It's, it's very, very it's pure. It's very good. And yeah, I was like, this is a Game Grumps video I can show Wayne that has extremely little cursing in it because, the, because yeah. Red and Link are there. The dads are there. So like, we can't curse in front of the dad. <laughs> the dads are here. The dads. It's like uh-huh. both of our dads are here. Um, which is so funny because, you know, they're only like maybe eight years older or so, maybe 10 years older than Dan. <laughs> like they're very close in age. Aren't you glad you signed up for this podcast? But Oh, but I was going to say, I love, I love it. Cause just all of a sudden Aaron goes, ah, and like screams. And I'm like, that's Aaron. Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wayne. So he knows. And Wayne's just laughing. It's a ridiculous scream. That one's Aaron. That's Aaron's scream. Uh, that's Mr. Aaron Hansen. <laughs> He's a screamer. Beautiful boy. Anyway. This is hysterical history. It's about history, uh, not about <laughs> videos and YouTube. Uh, I'm Haley. I'm Alexis. Uh, and real quick, I was going to update us on our uh, analytics and give shout-outs to the people from far away listening to us. Cool. The new people. Welcome. Hi. What are you doing here? Uh, we're really glad you're here. How did you find this? Tell us. You are from South Africa. Yes, or uh, we have one from Dubai, so that's cool. You're from New Brunswick. There's some in there, yeah. And Nova Scotia. Um, We had one in, uh, where are you? Dang it. Chile. Hello. Well, not one. There's like six (laughs) downloads, but probably one person. Hi, Chile. Hi, listener in Hong Kong. Yes, we see you. And sorry if this is creepy. We have a map that tells us where you're listening from. Not, like, specifically. You know, like, yeah. we can't see your house or anything. Uh, we had some listeners in the Philippines. Cool. What's up? Aguso. <laughs> Aguso? I don't know how to say it. And um, somebody in the, the tippity-tip of India in Kochi. Cool. Welcome. 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 And lots of people in... Um, where, where my people are from, from the north. So in, in Norway and Sweden and Netherlands, hello. 
We had a couple people listen from my land, so my grandmother is probably listening yeah, to the from, podcast. But also from Anchorage. Yeah. That might not have been your grandmother. Yeah, who knows? Hi, Alaska. Who knows who that was? You're basically a different country. It's, yeah, it is. Good to, good to see you on our map with little little purple infection dots. Mm-hmm. It does look like the world is diseased. Yeah, it looks like, uh, what's the game where you Pandemic. Pandemic. Yeah. It looks like Pandemic. Which is funny because there's the video game pandemic where you're trying to infect the world, and then there's the board game pandemic where you're trying to uninfect the world. Which is much harder. Oh, yeah. Especially when we add rules that don't exist. (laughs) You're welcome. But this makes us really good at the regular version. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Curing the disease is so easy when we let ourselves (laughs) play. It's true. Whoa. (laughs) We do it normal. (laughs) We made a fake hard mode. Yeah, I didn't know the rules. I was like, I've seen it. Let's play. And it was wrong. Anyway. As interesting as that was. Super fun. uh, What are you going to talk about today? Um, So today, I'm going to talk to you about a guy named Guy. Just let that sink in. That's all he has going for him. (laughs) No, he's awesome. Um. Guy is five foot and three inches and three quarters. He's a little baby. He's a little boy. Aww. He's 126 pounds at the time when this is happening. Wow. I mean, I say that like that's really short, but that's like just slightly shorter than I am. I mean, that's pretty short for a dude. He's like my height. Yeah. That's that's okay. Um, he's of Spanish descent. Uh-huh. Um, uh, some like Mexican heritage. It's confusing to read about on the internet. So is he Mexican? It's his ancestors are conquistadors. Uh, so not really, but kind of. Conquistadors got around. It's like medium. Some um, medium what? He's like medium spicy. Hispanic or not Hispanic, but uh, Mexican. Sure. <laughs> so yeah, he's it's a lot of Spanish and some Mexican in there, um, and he's at this time uh, seventeen years old. When? Uh, in 1940-something. Four? 1944, Where? I want to say. Where is he from? America. Okay. Um, he's from East L.A. Cool. Um, I'm going to tell you about him, and later on you'll know why he's important. So like I said, his ancestors were conquistadors. Um one of them went to New Mexico. Um, another one was on Magellan's ship to the Philippines. Um, and a third one went to Argentina. So all over. Uh, his last name is Gabaldon. Um, and they all had the last name Gabaldon. Hmm. Um, and I guess if you go to the Philippines, he says he's visited there before. Because um, I watched a documentary that had him talking a lot about himself in it. Is he still alive? No. He passed away in 2006. Oh, so. But they made this before that. Fairly recently alive. Yeah. Um, So uh, there's a Galbadon University, or Gabaldon, I always say it wrong. There's a Gabaldon University in the Philippines, and there's also a Gabaldon town. So his ancestors apparently made a mark there. Um, Conquistadors tend to. Well, no, that was the person who was on Magellan's ship. So. They just crashed there, and then Magellan died. Oh. Um, so maybe he lived for a while there. Uh, but, I mean, eventually the Spanish took it over anyway, so. I'm a little confused about how they're all related. The, who? The, all of the people. Oh, they're just related to him. They're just his ancestors. Okay. 
I don't know if they're like brothers or something. For sure. But they're all around the same time, I mean, so. Around the 1940s? Well, no, they're his ancestors, <laughs> I just said. You're not listening. So anyway, they're all running around, but I just wanted to give you an idea of his Spanish heritage, which is why there's multiple websites that say he's Hispanic, which is correct, and there's some that say he's Mexican descent, which is, like, kind of correct, but then it makes it sound like he's just Mexican, but he's also Spanish, so it's different. But Hispanic is just countries that speak Spanish as, like, their main language, and I think technically Spain counts as Hispanic, even though usually when we say Hispanic we mean, like... Central and South American countries. Uh, Western. The West West, West Spanish speaking. The yeah. West world. When they're all robots. Yeah. <laughs> we love Spanish speaking <laughs> robots who are 5'3 and 3 quarters. Little pocket sized robots. <laughs> um, so his grandparents still live in New Mexico, which is where his one ancestor who's conquistador went uh, and hung out. Um, so seemingly his family has been there for a while uh, in that location. And then he was born um, in L.A. And as he was growing up, people, a lot of people in this uh, documentary I watch described him as ornery. Uh-huh. Um, and he got, and they said he got into a lot of fights at school. Um, and so much so that he ended up at the uh, bad boy high school. You know, like, the, you know when kids in your school are bad and yeah. they get sent to, like, your alternative school. Yep. Because somehow that's better. A a tiny, tiny town like the one I grew up in still had an alternative high school. Right. Yeah. Yep. Uh, it doesn't work, mm-hmm. but um, it gets rid of the problem for your school, yeah. which is all that, you know, your principal really cares about. Yeah. It's, it's very political. <laughs> yeah. High um, school. But guess what the bad boy high school was named. It's the best. Ooh. Ornery High. <laughs> I wish. Little no. boy bad school. It's Andrew Jackson High. <laughs> That's bad boy high school. That's where the garbage goes. Learn how to beat your enemies with a giant <laughs> with stick. With a cane. Bad boy high school. <laughs> Kill your enemies in the woods, bad boy high school. <laughs> Kill lots of people for no reason, even though the war is over, bad boy high school. Teach your bird pet all the bad words, high school. <laughs> Time to duel, bad boy high school. Nice. But anyway, I, I just had it. to share. I love it already. When they said Andrew Jackson High, I had to pause the video because I laughed so hard. I was like, of course that's where the bad kids go. It's so weird that it's in L.A. It is weird. But, Why? you know, just they just name it after presidents if you just can't think of something, I think. It's really weird. Why that one? I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, one of his friends, he was on this um, show in like this, I think in the 50s or the 60s. And one of his friends uh, was on that show with him and he talked about growing up with him and said he used to jump out of second story windows and he would hop onto the backs of trucks just randomly and he used to jump onto moving freight trains. He's an assassin. He's just like for fun. He's just like trying to show off and be cool. The American Ezio. (laughs) He's pretty cool. Remember how we said this was a history podcast and not a video game podcast? We lied. He's Ezio. (laughs) So when he was growing up, obviously, like I said, he's Hispanic and he uh, his family speaks Spanish um, in the house. But he grows up in East L.A. in like a barrio with a whole bunch of like different ethnicities of people there. And um, some of those people are Japanese. And he um, meets the Japanese kids. He says he thinks that they were really cool. Like once he got to, I think, like middle school or high school, he, they were around more. And uh, he thinks that they're really cool. He specifically said they don't get in trouble with the cops. And like, that's cool. That- <laughs> It's really cool how they don't get arrested all the time. It was so funny. Um, And that they're really smart. 
uh-huh. um, which, you know, stereotypes, but, like, the kids he knew, that's how they were. Yeah. Um, and so he's like, that's nice. I'm going to hang out with those guys, which is, like, probably a good thing since you were, yeah. like, a bad kid. They'll and, be like, a good influence hopefully, yeah. on you. And so uh, he says that, like, he was really into just, like, Asia in general. He thought it sounded really cool, which, like, it makes sense at the time, especially because it's kind of, like, still an exotic, like, dreamland that Aww. people don't know a lot about. He's like a, I don't know, like an old school weeaboo. Yeah. He's like, oh, Japan seems really cool. And so he starts hanging out with these Japanese kids, wh- who's one of the guys who was talking about him, like, uh-huh. on this TV show. And um, he... Like, basically is adopted by this family, uh, the Nakano family. Like, he spends... That's so cute. He said he would spend, like, three days... Like, and that he didn't have a bad, like, home and family himself, but he just, like, liked them so much and loved their family that he loved being there. Um, And that he would spend, like, half the week at his house and the other half of the week at their house. I love... Um, I love those kinds of friendships. Oh, they're great. Where you just, like... Their parents are just like, oh hey, yeah, like come you're my new in. kid. Come yeah. in, we love you. Yeah, just like share parents and share kids. No, one really time, cute. um, my my friend from high school, uh, Meredith, I was over at her house, right, and it was like kind of late, and I was like, okay, I gotta go home, and like I was in high school, so I was driving. And so I had to drive home, and then her dad was like, okay, call us when you get home. Yeah. And, like, it was so funny because I'd never had anyone tell me to do that. And I was like, why? Um, and he's like, just so we know you're safe. And yeah. I was like, oh, that's so nice. You're and kind of like, like our kids, so okay. be, be right. safe. And I, like, almost wanted to cry because it was so nice. I was like, oh, thank you. Um, but, yeah, so, like, you know, it's, it's always a nice time with families that really care about you. And, um... And so he'd spend a lot of time with them. He, he makes a joke, actually, in the... Or not a joke, but he talks about in the documentary how uh, at this time in, uh, you know, parenting, mm-hmm. um, parents don't, like, super care where you are. No. Um, he's, no. He was like, you could be gone for days before your parents are like, where did they go? Um, and he's like, whereas, you know, right like now, if your kid doesn't come home at dark, you call the cops. And I'm like, right. Because yeah, you should. Um, but America's real innocent at this time. You yeah. know, we barely have cars. And so. Right. Like, that's where cool. are they going to go? Yeah, they can't really get too far. Um, <laughs> pretty much. And so, uh, he learns some, like, Japanese from them, mostly, like, slang and, like, random things they say around the house. Like, they don't seem to speak a lot of Japanese in mm-hmm. the house generally, or at least not when he's there, which is fair because he doesn't speak it. Um, but he learns some things. And uh, that will be important for him later. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. That's a plot point. So uh, can, he and his friends, tell. he says, would uh, they would take a Model A. That's that's where we're at in history. He's a, they, one of them has a Model A car. <laughs> and they would go to Japantown every Sunday. That um, was like three miles away to get sushi, mm-hmm. um, which is adorable. This like short little Mexican, you know, Hispanic yeah. dude going with his Japanese friends to go to Japantown to get sushi. And uh, he says it was at, at the time that it's 50 cents a box. Nice. Yeah. So it's, you know. Which expensive inflation, yeah. Um, but I mean, it's really it's exotic food, you right. know, that no, like not everyone's eating, and like that's probably the only place you can get it at the time. It's not popular like right. it is now. Um, but while he's there one day uh, at Japan Town, while they're getting sushi, um, the news comes that Pearl Harbor has been bombed. Oh, fun. by Japan. Yeah, by Japanese friends. Yeah, we're gonna put you in camps now. <laughs> yeah, and so. He says, you know, they were, he he was like, 
oh, that's terrible, but also his first thought was, where's Pearl Harbor? And I was like, that's so funny, because the only reason we know where it is is because it got bombed. Right. Otherwise, like, I have no idea. I don't know where any other harbors are, because I don't care. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not important. Right. Um, But we know where that one is now. And, um, yeah, so obviously it's really devastating for him. It's really devastating for, you know, every Japanese citizen of America. Um, And... It's uh, it's pretty rough, right? And then, obviously, American panic grows, and they're like, we need to p- round up these Japanese people and keep them separate from us so that they don't hurt us, which is, you know, like, ridiculous. <laughs> like, yeah, most of the ones um... who end up there have been in the country for a long time, and they don't have, like, they're citizens, and they don't have any real loyalty to Japan. And uh, America doesn't have any civil rights yet. It's true. Not in the not in the thirties and forties. We don't. Nope. So it's pretty bad. That's uh, when you're a foreign power and you attack America. All those people that are citizens uh, don't get a defense. Yeah, because and I think I don't know if it's specifically because they were Japanese um, that they were worried about that because of like general you know what we knew about Japanese loyalty. You know, and, like, that they don't surrender, um, and maybe they were really concerned about that specifically. I don't think um, so. I think but it's I don't just, think so. I think it's just racism, and they might all be traitors right. and spies. Right. And, well, and, like, you know, obviously we didn't round up all the Germans, but, like, they've <laughs> they've been here for so long, and they're white people, it's really hard to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we were ever racist against Germans. Like, we were, like, against... I a, mean, somebody a, had to be. Against the, like, Irish and Italians, we were super racist against. Yeah, that's true. Um, Jews, obviously. And Jews, because everyone hates those. Uh, Yeah. Uh, I mean, and sometimes Catholics. Probably. Oh, absolutely Catholics. Yeah, because we're a Protestant nation, Mm -hmm. generally. Right, because, like, the whole point of Germany is, like, you know, Protestant, largely, I think. Yeah, generally, I think. So they're cool. They're cool. Fine. Yeah, it's okay. It's when those Catholics come over that it's yeah. like, hey, Ugh. we came here to get away from you. Gross. <laughs> we came here to get divorced and get away from you. But anyway, um, so he's pretty bummed. That happens when he's 15 years old. Because um, that's, a, that's a few uh, years before the war will end um, for us. Uh, and I mean, I guess everybody really. But um, that's the beginning of our conflict with Japan like, and us properly being at war with them, which is in like 42 I think. Um, I'm pretty sure. Or well, because uh, um, the bombing's in 41. 41, yeah. So I think we I think. are... And it's like, a, I think it's at the end of the year. It's a December. Year. Yeah, yeah. So I think we're we're at war with them by, like, properly by 42. Mm-hmm. And we're, like, m- moving. Um, so um, his friends do, the Nakanos do get put into a concentration camp. Um, and uh, it... I, he never says this, but it seems like Guy really wants to do whatever it takes to get the war ended as quickly as possible so they can get out. Mm-hmm. Because he feels really bad for not only them, obviously, but all of the Japanese citizens. Because he has, like, a special relationship yeah. with the the culture and with people. And he knows, like, he, at some point in the documentary, he says, like, they're not Japanese. Like, they're Japanese-Americans. They're citizens. Yeah. Like, they love America. They're really patriotic. And, like, this is ridiculous. And so he's like, well, the only way that's going to happen is if, like, I'm in the war, and mm-hmm. then we, I can do something. I can jump out of windows. 
jump on freight trains. <laughs> it's jump be on amazing. <laughs> trains. Japanese maglev trains don't s- exist yet. I'm gonna jump on them. I'm assassin. <laughs> Um, so he tries to join the Navy because he wants to be in submarines because he thinks that's going to be cool and it's going to be, like, a pretty important part of the war because mm-hmm. our our part of the war is on the Pacific. Yeah. And uh, that's lots of water. And underneath the water is a cool place to be if you want to be sneaky. Um, but he had a perforated eardrum, so they were like, no, mm-hmm. you can't be here. Which is, is fair. Is the fact that he's, like, 16 not an issue? No. Cool. Not not during wartime in World War Two. No, they figured it was still like eighteen. <laughs> I think back then it was like fifteen or sixteen. Oh, sure, and they might have even lowered it just because of the war. Um, because I mean, we already knew how bad World War Two was in general elsewhere. Like in the fact that now we're involved is like, ugh. Um, but yeah, so he tries again in the Navy, and they're like, "No, your eardrum is broken. Sorry." Um, and then apparently, I got this from one side, I'm not sure that it's true, but it says in 1943, he's working at a cannery company in Alaska, um, and he tries to join the Marines instead. Because his mom says, like, hey, I know that the Navy wouldn't take you for submarines, but you should try a different branch, mm-hmm. um, and they might take you. And so he's like, okay. Um, so he tries for the Marines, but, uh, he's actually too short, because you have to be 5'4". That's their height floor. We um we don't have uniforms to fit you. <laughs> and he's 5'3 three and 3 quarters. Yeah. So technically, he's too short to be a Marine. Which I didn't know there were height floors. Uh, super weird to me that they'll take you if you're 16, but not if you're too short. Yeah. Uh, what? I mean, not true anymore, at least for the 16. Probably still true about the height. Maybe just in the Marines. But, I mean, I feel like probably it's across the board. But we also don't have a lot of people that short. Who generally want to sign up? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I thought it was much more about like, can you actually like lift all the things and you'd think carry all the <laughs> That's stuff? That makes sense. And once again, it is wartime, so shouldn't you take anyone who wants to go? Right. Really? Uh, um, so he tries to get the Marines, and then they are going to turn him down because he's too short. Mm-hmm. Um, but he tells them that he speaks Japanese, and they go. Oh, that's oh, that's different. That's different. Wait, why do you speak Japanese? Because you're Hispanic. Because <laughs> you're a spy. <laughs> no. Um, uh, he talks about in the in the uh, uh, documentary, and I don't know if this is true, but he says he remembers reading at the time, or like that re- reading something later that there were only like a hundred people in America who spoke Japanese at the time who weren't Japanese. I mean, it's super weird to know it then. It is, yeah. Like, nowadays, you know, if you know another language, you're, like, really cultured and people are really, like, you know, it's exciting and people are proud of you and think that's cool. Um, and, like, people just do it for a hobby. But mm-hmm. back then, it's like that was not even on the list of things well, especially to do. Especially Japanese. And why especially you, Japanese, yeah. We didn't, why would you know? We didn't have a lot of strong relations with Japan at the time. And, like... Japan was much more, like, closed. Right. And I think that most Japanese immigrants, when they get over here, they switch to English pretty fast because they want to assimilate. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, East Asian immigrants are a lot more into assimilating than a lot of other immigrants that we have. Because I think they think that's the best way to not be prejudiced against which is probably true um but anyway super good tactic yeah it is you know it's obviously like sad that they feel like they must but it's it's a good idea um but yeah so he they're really interested in him now because they're like oh you speak japanese and apparently they had people 
they had interpreters. Um, his his captain's also in the documentary, and he talks about how they had interpreters who could speak Japanese, could understand Japanese, but they spoke very like robotically, like do 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 do, like word 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 word, right? Very slow and deliberate. Um, and he's like, I don't know about that. And then, he, but he brought one in and he was like, can you prove to me that he can speak Japanese? Cause obviously the captain wouldn't know. Like if you just start speaking Japanese, sure. he'd be like whatever. Um, and so, uh, he brings in an interpreter and he talks to guy and after like a few minutes, he's like, I mean, he is speaking Japanese. Um, but like, it's, it's kind of broken and it's like a lot of slang and like not a lot of like the words that we're like using. He, he talks like he's a teenager. <laughs> yeah. Weird. <laughs> like he was, he only hangs out with Japanese teenagers. I'm imagining like the Japanese version of like surfer speak or like valley right. girl. Yeah. Like, I mean, technically it's. I mean, yeah. I guess. He does speak Japanese. Gosh, he makes me want to dunk his head in a toilet bowl though. <laughs> It's really irritating. It's very annoying. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> Japanese. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, he doesn't speak, like, fluent Japanese. He doesn't use, like, proper grammar or whatever. But, like, he does understand a lot of it, and he can say something. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, okay, you're coming with us, buddy. And so um, they do their training, which I'm assuming is brief. Um, because, you know, war. Yeah. But, um, they, they get to, uh, he, he's involved in the attacks in Saipan, in the Battle of Saipan, which is, um, like, it takes place over, like, a month. Mm-hmm. It's, like, June something to July, and, um, I don't have dates. You can look up dates. That's not what this is for. <laughs> <laughs> We're not here to help you study. I don't care. <laughs> Uh, but so he's in the Battle of Saipan, and they get there in an amphibious vehicle called an alligator, which I wanted to put in there for you. Mm, that's the opposite of an amphibian. I know. Call it a salamander. But they call it an alligator. Or a frog. Because I'm assuming it, like, looks kind of like one, but it doesn't really. I, like, looked at it. I don't know, but I looked at one. Um, if you take the hood of the car and make it go snap, snap, it <laughs> snap, looks snap. like, makes it look like an alligator. It's just like an alligator. So we called it that. <laughs> I love it. That's not, it's official name, obviously, but they would call it that. Uh, okay. That's a slang. And uh, when they get off the boat, they're immediately under fire. They're immediately being attacked. Um, like there was, I'm not sure if there was already a battle happening or they just knew that that was like going to be their landing spot. Yeah. But they immediately are attacked by Japanese, uh, soldiers and they're able to like get their whole group away and, uh, get safe in the, you know, in the jungles. But, um, the, his, uh, captain, uh, Schwabi is his name. No, that's, that's not, last that's name. not a name. Captain John Schwabi. That's not a human name. <laughs> He's real. That's... And he uh, he talks about how when Guy got off the boat, he could tell immediately that he was being, like, deeply affected just by seeing the Japanese, like, dead bodies. Mm-hmm. Like, seeing people who looked like his friends dead on the shores was, like, very upsetting to him. And then later when he was seeing American dead bodies, that it was even more upsetting to him just because he was like, this is all terrible. And those are people I know, right? Oh, so it's, it's like... He's it's, a soft child. <laughs> yeah, even though he's an ornery, angry boy, he's it's bad for him on both sides. Whereas I think a lot of American soldiers are like, well, that's the enemy and I'm doing what I have to do. Mm-hmm. Like, he's kind of seeing all of these people as his friends. And it's like, it's horrible to him. Right. And that doesn't mean he doesn't kill anybody because he does. Of course, he has to. Um, but I think he, he 
it it affects him a lot more, and I think he thinks about it a lot more while sure. it's happening and after it's happening. But anyway, Saipan um, not only has a lot of soldiers, but they also have a lot of civilians. Um, it's like a northern island of Japan, I think. I don't know why there's so many civilians there. Uh, maybe it was trying to prevent from being terribly bombed. It doesn't work. Um, because, you know, America's at war with you and we're gonna just do what we have to do, especially in the 40s when there's not, like, a lot of rules yet. Yeah. So, um, not, doesn't work. So basically what happens is they drop a whole bunch of bombs on Saipan and Mm -hmm. then all of the civilians and the soldiers eventually, uh, end up hiding in caves in the jungle. Um, and that makes it very difficult to find them and because they know where they are. And, you know, Americans right. have never been here, no idea where anything is. Um, so they just, it's really easy for them to get ambushed um, all the time. All right. So it's real dangerous because it becomes like guerrilla warfare almost immediately. It's pretty much like America's historical weak point is jungle warfare. Yes, um, because we don't have a lot of jungles. Mm, yeah. And we don't fight in them usually. They're in caves? What? No. Uh, what do we do? What do we do? And you can't just, and they're not just going to like throw bombs into every cave because they don't want to waste ammo and also because there could be civilians in there. And mm-hmm. so they don't want to kill civilians if they don't have to. Um, so they're like, what are we supposed to do? And Guy says when he gets there and he starts fighting, he's not scared of what's happening. Um, I think he's too young and stupid to be scared. <laughs> but he says he wonders immediately why he's there. He's like, why did I come here? And um, he says he wishes he was at home in the bowling alley with the cute Russian girls <laughs> that live in his neighborhood. I understand. <laughs> Which is the most adorable Who thing. wouldn't? Uh, so intelligence tells them for the oh, battle. That, I just thought of something. That what? poor, he just has bad luck picking people he likes. Because after the war is over, those cute Russian girls are going to be just as suspect <laughs> as all of his Japanese friends. It's so true. I didn't even think about that. Because the Cold War is basically right <laughs> after World War II. This guy just, I don't know. Does he have Vietnamese friends? Probably. Korean ones? Because that those are the next problems. Yeah. Like, he's like, well, maybe I shouldn't have Russian girlfriends. He's like, you know, I, I'm through with Japanese and Russians, <laughs> just Koreans and, and Vietnamese. Vietnamese. <laughs> I'm going straight. <laughs> and then, oh no. Oh, gosh. Every time. But uh, so intelligence tells them before they land that there are going to be 10,000 troops total on the island. Uh, there are actually 30,000 troops, so quite a few more. Um, and almost all of them are, like, hardened veterans who have been in war before. Those are bad. Yeah. that means they, they have uh, 17-year-old boys. They have people that have lived. Through the war. Through uh, killing other people. Yes. And not died. Yes. That means they're better. And they have 17-year-olds. Uh, not great. No. 17-year-olds who are like, I wish I was at a bowling alley. <laughs> why, why you don't, where are the Russian <laughs> girls? Uh, spoiler alert uh, for the Battle of Saipan. We do win. And we do win, like we do beat Japan in World War II, um, but not without it being quite hard fought. Obviously, that's kind of just like the whole Pacific campaign, right? The so whole thing. Uh, the U.S. ends up there with. Uh, I looked up some statistics on the Wikipedia's, mm. um, so you can also look them up if you want. But the the U.S. has seventy one thousand troops. Japan has thirty two thousand. Um, 
for our, our casualties and losses, um, there's 13,790 for the U.S. There's 29,000 casualties for Japan. Um, not all of those, I don't think, are uh, soldiers. Mm-hmm. Um, 3,426 people are killed and missing from the United States. Um 24,000 Japan are KIA. I don't... Com- uh, killed in action. Killed in action. Okay. Um, and they... Oh, that's why. It's breaking down the people who died. So they killed 24,000 soldiers out of the 32,000. So most sure. of them. But um, 5,000 of those casualties are suicides mm. of civilians on the island. Yikes. And we'll get there. Um, super funny episode. Hysterical. Amazing. So funny. I promise it gets happier. We did that joke about Valley Girls and and then Russian Girls and Um, it's funny once. So yeah, lots of people die. Um, so it's it's a serious battle. A lot of soldiers, a lot of people, lots happening. Oh, so the Japanese are doing this tactic at the time of of bonsai attacks where they just run wildly at the Mm -hmm. front lines. Um, uh, sometimes they make it through and sometimes they don't, um, but usually they don't work. Um, sometimes they're good as distraction tactics, but all the people running die. Yeah. A lot of the tactics at this time, uh, you know, in the past also and in the future for Japan are, uh, suicide attacks. It's it's a one-way trip. And, uh, in some ways, you know, it does do the job, I guess, but it is obviously horrible for human life and it's terrifying for the other people and there i think that's kind of japan's goal is to like break down their um what's the right word like uh resolve yeah like morale yeah shock like and that's, awe that's what they because that's what they do to the russians in the russo-japanese war which mm-hmm. is kind of like the precursor to world war one uh which is they just scared them so much that then they were like we quit right like you don't have to be that effective really when you're an island you just have just like scare them off right and japan knows obviously that america has more uh, like more people better weapons like they have all the advantage besides that they don't know where they are Mm -hmm. and they don't know what the japanese are gonna do and so they're trying to use that to their full force hiding and scare tactics um guy talks about how he has an m1 which is uh, a gun I think a semi-automatic, um, but he he says it weighs nine pounds, and he's only a hundred and twenty-six pounds. So for him, it's really heavy, <laughs> and he hates it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says it's like a pretty good gun, but it's he has to carry it everywhere, and it's so tiring, and it's so hot, and it's just like because you know, it's like in the summer in the in the jungle in Japan, <laughs> and he's just like ugh. That um, at some point he's running by, and he sees uh, one of his fo- fellow soldiers has fallen, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but he had a carbine. Which is it's like a lot lighter, um, semi-automatic. Also, I think uh, maybe a burst fire. I'm not sure, but uh, it's smaller and nicer looking. So he's like, "I'll do that." So he trades out the guns, and then he says, "It's the worst mistake of my life." <laughs> like he's like, "That gun was terrible." Um, he, I have a quote from him where he says, "Everybody I killed died hard. I shot several guys, put holes in them, and they kept coming at me." Well. <laughs> 
It it sounds so, like at least it wasn't the last mistake he ever made. No, he so does live through it, but he's worse. like, this is pretty bad. Yeah. Like, this gun is not a good decision. I made it. Because he left his other one. That's a problem. Like, you should have kept both. It yeah. would have been heavy, but then you could try both. This is this is the hazard of warfare before video games. Yeah. You always keep all your guns. Right. You need a backpack. <laughs> you small little boy. <laughs> Maybe that's why they don't let them in when they're too short. They're like, this you can't gun, carry enough guns. guns. Too heavy. It's like, it doesn't matter how heavy it is because everyone else has guns. <laughs> right. Uh, so they they get into the wilderness um, and they set up like a lookout point, kind of where they can just camp. A looky loo. A looky loo where they can camp. I think it's like higher ground, so they can kind of see around if people are going to come at them, and they can kind of scope out the area to try to find the caves because they know that they're hiding. They just don't know where they're hiding. Mm-hmm. And um, the thing about the uh, the American military is like you are a unit. You're a group. All of your units are in within bigger units of people, you know, like your uh, branch or whatever, you're in a battalion, you're in, you have a sergeant over you who has someone over him, who has someone over him, bigger and bigger groups. Um, so you're a team, you know, a group force. Um, and lone adventures are strongly frowned upon. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically treason. Yeah. Um, if you need a modern example, just look at Bo Bergdahl. Mm-hmm. It's a, everyone freaks out because, you know, the whole thing is supposed to be no soldier left behind. We're going to get everybody we can who's alive back. Um, so when people go missing, it's a big deal. And it's basically like a member of your family has gone missing mm-hmm. and you will do whatever it takes to find them. Like everything else is put on hold. Find right. that person. Because like, why wouldn't you tell people where you're going? Right. It's weird. Um, and it, like the safety is in numbers. Mm-hmm. It's very strange that you would go by yourself. However, I'm gonna let you know now. <laughs> yeah, that guy. Um, his I, I have a this book I read uh, when Churchill slaughtered sheep and Stalin robbed a bank, which is by uh, Giles Milton. That's the best cover. Oh, it's a beautiful cover, and you should definitely read it. And there, he has another one that's really good. Uh, but he talks about Gobbledon. That's how I got introduced to it. So a lot of my stuff is from this and from that documentary I watched. But uh, his chapter about Gabaldon is called Lone Wolf, and it's because of what I'm about to tell you. Mm -hmm. Because they are trained at the beginning um, that because they're fighting the Japanese, the Japanese soldiers are not going to surrender. They won't do it. Mm -hmm. Like, they're going to kill themselves or they're going to kill you. And they, they will not be prisoners of war. And so far, that's been true. We have tried because that's what you're supposed to do. Like, you're supposed to try to get them to surrender and then take prisoners and then you give them back, like, once the war is over and mm-hmm. use them as leverage. But you, you aren't just supposed to kill everybody when they're, they're giving up. But um, there's a strong Japanese culture that uh, losing, you know, is... Uh, it's, it's dishonorable. It is, yeah. It's and like a samurai thing. Right. Um, can't be taken. And if you've heard of uh, seppuku, you know, ritual belly slitting, it's uh, and not only, like, are you supposed to die if you, like, mess up bad enough, but you're supposed to kill yourself because, like, that's the honorable thing to do. Yeah. And I think if you slit your stomach and then your, like, superior cuts off your head. 
but the the attitude carries over into at least this time um that like that's the honorable thing to do if you're if instead of surrender surrender is bad don't do it ever in all circumstances up till now that's been 100 percent true and they haven't been able to take anyone prisoner so they kind of stopped trying Right? Mm-hmm. Because it's like it's not productive for them to keep trying. It's like we just have to kill all of them, which honestly is a lot harder than if you have to kill enough that you can say, okay, let's just make a deal here. All right. It's significantly more difficult. And then you have to be scared of every single one of them, which, as far as their scare tactics go, is a great plan. Mm-hmm. But Guy doesn't want to be killing Japanese people, obviously. Right. At all. Um, he seem like he never, like I said, he never says why he's there, but seemingly he's there to end the war and that's his whole goal and not in the way of, I kill every single Japanese person that I see. Like he wants some diplomacy here and nobody's doing it. He's not of the, I just have to keep going till this island is empty. Right. That's not what he wants at all. Which is great. It is great. It's really great. that's why we're talking about him because I love him. And so in the middle of the night, one day when they're at camp, he leaves by himself, um, just like his gun, and takes off into the dark wilderness that he doesn't know. Pulls a bow. Yeah. Um, he, well, yeah, less of a plan, less of a problem. Uh, 12% of a plan. Yeah. Bo had, like, a specific plan. Uh, Guy does not. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't run into the same trouble. Um, so he finds a small cave, um, goes into it, he speaks to them in Japanese and tells them that they're surrounded by American troops and that they're going to get killed unless they surrender and come out. And if they come out, um, then they will not be killed or tortured, which uh, the Japanese, that was the other thing. Um, the Japanese uh, government at the time was telling everyone that if they got caught by Americans to, to make them commit suicide instead, that if they got caught by Americans, um, that we were going to torture them, that the, uh, they told, this is kind of later, but they told the women on the island that if we caught them, that they were, we were going to barbecue their children and eat them. Um, And just, like, do everything that you could possibly imagine terrible to them because we're evil demons. Yeah. Right. Which is, I mean, pretty much how it goes Mm -hmm. every time for the enemy is evil. You know, whoever the enemy is. Standard. Standard. Uh, Maybe a little more aggressive than standard uh, because they don't want them to get captured. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because that becomes a political problem too because then if we're leveraging people against them they can't be like we don't care about those people and it's like obviously america's not gonna be like yeah we want to keep all these pow's in our country like that's not gonna happen so we're like you have to take them back our camps are already full we We, can't we can't bet them and so um i think i think part of the strategy is just to not have pow's um which does make it easier in some ways uh but terrible obviously but Mm -hmm. because of that that's why that's part of why they're not surrendering is because they're they're told that we're horrible awful um and because they just generally see us as foreign right we're the enemy we don't look like them we don't talk like them nothing about us is similar and so they don't trust us mm-hmm. and we're there to kill them so it's like 100% makes sense right um but guy walks in by himself uh, which is already very vulnerable and i'm sure he has his gun up but like and he's you know, like he's such a little boy he's a little boy 
And he and he's literally a boy. He's 17 years old. He, he talks like he's a teenager. Yeah, he walks in, speaks broken Japanese to them, says, we're not going to kill you. If you surrender and just come out, we'll give you food. We'll give you medical care. You know, like, you will be fine. And, and he, like I said, he tells them they're surrounded, you know, which obviously they're not because he's out there alone. Mm-hmm. But um, he's able to get two prisoners to come back with him. Um, I think I, I don't think there were that many people in the cave. So I think he gets all of them. I think it was just the two guys. Sure. And he's able to convince them to come back with him. Um, and so in the morning, <laughs> he gets... Because I think he actually spends the night there because it's too dark. Sure. So in the morning, which is amazing that he spends the night with the enemy in a cave. There's more of them than there are of him, and they don't try to hurt him. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the morning, they do go back with him. like, uh, And he goes back to camp, and he's like, I have two prisoners. And they're like, what? What? Why? You were supposed to be cleaning the latrines. <laughs> what are you doing? What have you done? And so Captain John Schwabe, he says... Again, not a real human. <laughs> who's his commanding he's, officer. He's some kind of, like, automated cleaning robot. <laughs> no. He, uh, he says, he's like, uh, never do that again. <laughs> well, like, yeah. That's not what Marines do. Don't, they don't run off by themselves. Uh, you don't run off into the wilderness in the middle of the night and just hope you don't die. Right. So he's like, do not do that. Like, that's not what right. they ha- That's not how the military works. That's Mm-mm. not what we're doing. And he says, like, and they have an interview with him where he's like, and I was like, yes, sir, of course, sir. Mm. I would never do that again. And, um... The the next he said he fills his pockets with ammo that day and then he goes back out into the wilderness goes back to the caves, Henri fills his pockets and leaves. Yeah, I was like you should have <laughs> vetted this guy a little better. He speaks Japanese. We need him. Um, and so he goes back out, uh, does like basically the same thing, finds a new cave, finds some new people, brings it back. Oh man, Gets him to surrender. Do we court martial him or do we give him a medal? It's so confusing. Right. Um, and, uh, I guess Schwabi threatens him that he's going to court-martial him if he does it again, I think, the first time. Yeah. And then he does it again. Uh, called, of course. Calling his bluff, or... Uh, you don't know. Yeah. Guy's real, uh, ballsy. He says later that the, the, his key to success in getting prisoners was, um, not because he spoke Japanese, but because of his cojones. I mean, if you just go in, what else are you going to think? Yeah. Who else but, uh, you know... I mean, an idiot would do that, but... Right. It's extremely brave. But, like, if you're told all those things about the American military, that they're, like, supreme monsters, you don't expect one to just be stupid. And, like, a small one to come in and speak your language? Like, Mm -hmm. that's so weird. Because even if they don't totally understand him, they're like, he's trying to speak to us with our own language. Because we're not using our linguists that speak Japanese to talk to Japanese people. Right. We're using them to, like, decode messages and, like send the government of Japan messages. Mm-hmm. We're not, they're not talking to soldiers. And so that's like, I think that's really disarming for them. And that like, he generally, despite the fact that he's saying, come or we'll kill you, um, that he probably is doing so very gently because mm-hmm. he does like them in general. Um, and that he doesn't have kind of like this aggressive nature as much as other soldiers do. Um, so after the second time, and, you know, he's like, I'm going to court-martial you. And then he comes back again and did the same stupid thing. Um, Captain Schwabe is kind of like, I mean, he's doing it, though. It works. 
Uh, like, and we thought getting prisoners was impossible. Mm-hmm. We thought getting them to surrender was impossible. And he's brought, like, people back alone more than once now. Right. So he's like, I mean, go ahead, I guess. Um, you know, he's like, don't die. But, like, otherwise, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Or you're grounded. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. If you die, you're grounded. <laughs> um, we're kicking you out of the military if you die. That's not true. You have to be in the Air Force to, for them to ground you. That's true. Uh, and so, um, eventually, Captain, he keeps doing this. And eventually, Captain Schwabe even goes with him on these missions because he's so curious how he's doing this. What weird magic he's is like, happening? He's like, what do you say to them? Like, what's happening? And he sits, like, outside in the, you know, um, in the brush or whatever while a uh, guy goes in and he talks to them. And then all this, you know, like, not all of a sudden, like, it takes a while, but... Um, after a while, like, he's walking, and behind him is just a row of, like, Japanese little ducklings following him to be prisoners. Oh, um, interesting. And they ask him in the documentary, like, how did you do that without them just killing you? Mm-hmm. Right? Because they outnumber him every time. He's one person. Um, and, like, why didn't you think they just had a grenade or were going to blow you up or something? And he says that um, once he got them to surrender, he would tell them that they needed to strip down, like, to their underwear so that he knew they weren't carrying anything um, before he would take them back. Um, but he promised them that they wouldn't die and that, like... And he said he would appeal to them about their families, too, that he would be like, don't you want to see your family again? Mm-hmm. Like, because if you come with us... You'll be a prisoner, and we'll give you back to Japan, and, like, you'll get to see your family again. But if you don't, then, like, you're gonna die. And it's like, if you're given that choice, like, why wouldn't you do it? Because they're gonna kill you. (laughs) But they don't. Which is very lucky, but it amazes me that they trusted him. I guess, like, if they're like, we're gonna die either way, like, at least this is a chance, maybe? I'm surprised they didn't check. Like to, oh, see to see their people? If they were actually surrounded right, or not. because they talked to him about that, too, because they were like, eventually they're going to know they're not surrounded. Like, after they walk with you a few miles, they're going to be like, wait a minute, where are all the other people? Yeah. Um, and he's like, I mean, by that time, they're disarmed, they've surrendered, and, like, uh, you know, they, they've made their decision. And uh, I mean, at that point, I'd be too embarrassed to bring it up. Right. But and you don't ha- they don't have weapons anymore. And yeah. They don't, like, they're, they have um, become vulnerable and, like, they, there's no reason to run away once you have no weapons and no clothes. Mm-hmm. It's like they, they had to, like, clearly give up before he was going to take them. But, yeah, he, he would go in alone, talks to them, and then he starts leading them out slowly. And I'm just like, this, is, this guy's nuts. He's given the nickname the Pied Piper of Saipan. Uh, yeah. And I'm like, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's what he's doing. Uh, he talks about this sergeant. His name is Virgil. Um, who let him know, uh, I apologize for the word because it is a slur. Um, he let him know that he doesn't like spicks. Never even heard of that. See, I have. Um, which obviously is short for Hispanics, which mm-hmm. is people who speak Spanish. But it's funny because Guy hadn't heard of it either. And literally he was like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, right. I don't know. But basically the dude tells him to his face, I don't like Hispanic people. And I'm like, that's cool. Um, yay, the 40s. Cool. And so uh, How did that come up? I don't know. He just like tells me he doesn't like him. You know, whatever. Just, just Casual conversation. And so then Guy starts going out on his solo missions, bringing back people, and obviously everyone's very impressed with him and thinks he's really cool, and the captain's going with him. So it's like, you know, 
Guy's becoming a cool dude. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's uh, apparently Guy was like, ooh, and I just hated that guy, right? Because he was terrible and just, like, racist. And he's like, so he started asking Virgil, hey, Virgil, you want to go with me? You want to go with me tonight? Mm-hmm. We can go on a mission together. Yeah, you shoot you in the forest and no one will yeah. find your body. Uh, but apparently Virgil would never answer him. He'd just ignore him. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't want to get shot in the woods either. <laughs> it's fair. <laughs> Um, and so from, from his different, um, I mean, if you're going to be racist, don't be like stupid. (laughs) Yeah. Idiots. I mean, (laughs) it's good advice. If you're going to be racist, don't be stupid. And so, uh. As much as the rest of us would enjoy it if you were. Yeah. It would be nice. You probably should not follow the people you're you're outwardly racist against into into the, the woods. Right. When they have a gun. I mean, you have a gun, too, but... Mm-hmm. Mm, but you're a racist, so you're and probably an idiot. <laughs> they're a little angrier than you are. All right. But uh, Guy also, from his exploits, he gets uh, 13 sabers that he's collected from different Japanese, uh, like, battalions or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he, like, treasures them because he thinks they're really cool. Um, and of course, he's like a teenager. He's like, look at these. They're so cool. Yeah, right. And he's so into, like, Japanese culture, so he's probably, like, into samurais and is like, ooh, it's like being a samurai, even though it's not the same kind of sword. It's like, ooh, sabers. Like, they're mm-hmm. so cool. Because, I mean, at that time, American military doesn't have, like, swords anymore. Right. Um, so he's like, these are so cool. And he, he gets, like, 13 of them, and they're, like, his treasure, and he's keeping them in his camp. And obviously they're not going to take them from him because, like, mm-hmm. it, it, he got them. You're welcome. That's your reward. Congrats. Yeah. Um, but one night they just disappear. Aww. He goes on a mission. He comes back. They're gone. Virgil did it. Uh, I wonder who it was. He's like uh, like an 80s bully before the 80s happened. <laughs> it's true. And so he... Uh, Stole it from your locker. I mean, nerd. if you watch Stand By Me, he's a 50s, yeah. <laughs> he's a 50s bully. Oh, that's true. And it's just he's the 50 bully, 50s bully's dad. Yeah. Um, and so, uh... This is why the 80s are terrible for yeah, kids. it's true. Because everyone's dad was Cause, a bully. Because their parents are, like, really nasty war criminal people. That's true. And so, uh, one day they're bathing, right? Like, fully naked, bathing in, like, a local, like, river or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, um, guys like, hey, Virgil, uh, did I tell you somebody stole my sabers from my camp, like, from my bed? And he doesn't say anything, like, Virgil doesn't say anything, but he's, but, uh, the guy's like, but I knew he took him. Um, and it's so funny, because he's like, so, mm. and then he's like, uh, and he tells him that that person's going to die, mm-hmm. that he's going to kill whoever Whoever took him is yeah. going to get it. He's like, when I figure out whoever did that, I'm going to shoot him in the back, mm-hmm. just so you know. And he said the next day his sabers were back. <laughs> oh, that's weird. <laughs> I wonder who took them. Wouldn't it be, like, so awful if it wasn't him? <laughs> and there's just, like, someone happened over here and they're like, oh, crap. No, see, it's funny because I'm wondering if Virgil maybe even didn't do it but knew who did it and was like, yeah. dude, he's going to murder you. He's going to murder me. Or he's going to murder me because he thinks <laughs> I did. Give him back or and I'll like, murder you. I'm not going to die for something I didn't do right. this time. It's really easy when you're at war in the 40s to to kill someone and pretend it was the enemy. <laughs> so, yeah. You know. It's, yeah. Whatever. It's kind of fine. People don't care as much. Yeah. It's true. Anyway, so, yeah, he warns him and then the sabers come back. Um, so, uh, there's one big moment for Guy when he's doing one of these missions where uh, I think his whole, like, group is with him or the close by to wherever he is. His group being Americans or Japanese? Uh, Americans. Uh, like the army, his, his uh, battalion or whatever, are nearby. And um, there's a big battalion nearby that they don't know is there. 
Like, they're hiding, but it's, like, a butt-ton of people. And so he tries to do his normal thing, and he goes in there, and um, there's, like, way more people than normal, but he still, like, gives his speech and everything. And um, he asks them if there are any more people nearby, and they say yes. And so he says, okay, and he sends a couple people to go get them, and he says, if you don't come back, I'm going to kill these people. So go get them, bring them back. Like, we're going to kill them. We're, you know, because sure. he wants to have the power of the military behind him. Yeah. We're going to kill them if you don't bring us the rest of the people. Um, and it, I think he ends up doing this a couple times because, like, they bring back all the people they know about. And then those people he says the same thing to. And then they go get more people. And eventually he has 800 soldiers to take back to camp. What are they going to have do with all of them? I don't know. They're probably like, stop doing this. We can't feed this many people. We, we can't, they're going to end up dying and we it's going to be get bad. The food for thousands of prisoners of war. Stop it. But yeah, 800 people in one go. Mm-hmm. And once again, why are they not murdering you? Who knows? But they're not. They trust him for some reason. And I mean, like, nothing he's saying is false. Mm-hmm. He's telling the truth. He's staying in their language. He's appealing to their sensibilities. And he and he knows how much, like, Japanese people really value family, which is why he's like, don't you want to see your family? Because um, he knows them. And so uh, it works. And he gets 800 people back. Yeah, and all I can imagine was Charles Schwab, or, or not Charles Schwab. See, it's because it's Les Schwab. Or no, there is a Charles Schwab. Hold on. <laughs> It's, um, Charles Schwab is a, uh, it's like an accounting it's a, firm. It's, yeah, it's banking yeah. or something. Yeah, that's what it is. It's Les like, Schwab, it's so the car yeah, Les Schwab place. Les Schwab is a car place. Charles Schwab is a, an accounting, accounting banking thing. thing. His name is Schwabby. John Schwabby. Because I, I wanted to say Captain, so I said Charles, because they start with the same letter. Captain Schwabby, I'm sure when they come in, he's, like, happy and also, like, oh, my God. This is like, a logistical nightmare. What are we going to do? <laughs> like, do you know how hard it is just to manage 800 people when they are hostile towards you? Mm-hmm. And, like, where are you going to put them? Right. How are you going to guard them? It's a problem. We don't have enough food. Yep. What... But, like, that's a significant chunk of people. Like, it's the same as if they had killed 800 people. Yeah, it's still like, pretty that's good. That's 800 people neutralized. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a super big chunk and super helpful, like, to effort to stop the war right. and to with, end the battle. With no American Taipan. lives lost. With no lives lost. So, like... As much as it sucks because it's difficult, it's like this is a good thing mm-hmm. because it and it looks really good in general to everyone. Absolutely, and especially for like American um, like PR, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like look how many people we captured did not kill, right? Um, because we're trying to be peaceful, which is not completely true, but some of us are. Look at what a good people we are being. <laughs> we're great. Mm, the thing hasn't happened yet, so um, we're still really good. So I only have two more, like, major incidents to talk to you about. Um, he's obviously in this book because of, uh, I think he ends up at the end with either, like, somewhere between 1,200 and 2,000 POWs that he got personally. That's, like, four times bigger than my entire high school. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's so many That's people. an insane amount of people. <laughs> That's a lot of people. By yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, that's nuts. Um, I'd never heard of him before, and I was like, why? Like, this dude's amazing. There's an incident, though, now we have to talk about the sad thing. There's an incident with the the suicides, um, where they find a whole bunch of civilians, 
And then they're trying to get them to surrender and just come with them. Like, they're like, we're not going to hurt you. Like, we're trying to help. You come with us. Um, But they're really scared because they got told that their babies were going to be barbecued. And they're, like, literally holding their babies. And so um, he says he gets to this, like, cliffside, and he they show it in the documentary because they go to Sa- uh, Saipan. But uh, he he says he had to watch women throw their children oh, over yikes. this 800-foot cliff and then jump after them. Cool. And, and he says he, you know, it's horribly heartbreaking, obviously, to everyone, but especially to him. And he says that he would, uh, he called them a word. I don't remember what it was, but it means auntie. Mm-hmm. And that's just what you call, like, older Japanese ladies. Um, and and he, would, he was saying, like, auntie, please don't do this. Like, you know, um, you don't want to kill your child. We want your kids to survive. We want you to see your family. Please don't do this. Like, please mm-hmm. don't kill yourself. Um, but most of them still do. Right. Gosh, that's tough. Yeah. Because in their minds, like, that's the only chance they're going to get. Yeah, it's it's really horrible. Um, and it, like, obviously, like, there are there's bad all around, but it really makes me specifically annoyed at, like, the Japanese government. Because they told that to the civilians, too. Like, they're not just telling their soldiers, we're going to need yeah. to take your life. They're telling people, you're going to have to kill yourself. Don't let them get you. Mm-hmm. And just, like, it's really sad. Um but anyway, uh, and he, he also talks about he sees one guy, he tries to get him not to jump, and he jumps anyway, and then he's down at the, or I think it's one of his kids is telling the story, that he's down by the shore a few hours later, and he runs into that guy, who's hmm. not dead. Oh, no. But he's horribly mangled, Ugh. and like, in extreme pain. Yeah. And he's just like, oh, gosh. Because, yeah, he survived an 800-foot drop mm-hmm. into rocks. So he's not going to live probably a lot longer. Right. So not going to live for long. So I was like, can you just put him out of his misery? And they don't say whether he did or not. He should have. Uh, I agree. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he probably would have. I'm uh, pretty sure he did. Yeah. But they don't tell you. So anyway, it's, uh, past the depressing. On his last mission, Guy, um, is he says he's wearing a baseball cap. And he thinks that's why he gets targeted. By, guy is? Yes. Well, he gets targeted by the Japanese specifically. Because, like, the rest of his, like, battalion is kind of slipping by these Japanese troops, but he thinks they see his baseball cap. Mm-hmm. And they're like, Americans! Because only Americans wear baseball caps. Uh, correct. <laughs> it is at the time, definitely. And so and they're like, mm. And then uh, they shoot him with a machine gun, um, and he gets hit in the ribs and his hand um, with machine gun fire. Hmm. Uh, luckily, at this time, machine guns aren't that good. Or so, accurate. He lives until 2006. <laughs> He's okay. Um, Have I ever told you about, like, early... I mean, at this point, planes are pretty good. Yeah. Considering. Uh, yeah. But, like, when they first start putting machine guns on planes, like oh, in gosh. World War One, yeah. they didn't think at first to, like, time the bullets right. between going through, like, the propellers. Mm. So the first few times that uh, they put guns on planes, they, they just, just shot themselves. They down. shoot themselves down. Gosh, it's like it's so stupid. I had never actually thought about that huh. and how the but you do need to the bullets get through the <laughs> propellers. But that's true. <laughs> oh my gosh! I wonder if they like because I don't know. It's like oh yeah. I wonder yeah. if they how how long it took them to think about that. They're like right. Mm, that's right. We that's do. an issue. That is a timing. That's an thing. engineering problem, hmm. huh? That sounds like a you problem. <laughs> they don't have trained engineers this time for <laughs> the government for the war. Um, 
But anyway, so he's evacuated because of that from the battlefield. Um, he gets taken to a hospital ship on in Hawaii, and then eventually he's back in L.A. Um, but I think while he's in Hawaii, um, the Battle of uh, San pa- or Saipan, Sanpai, I don't know what I'm saying, Saipan is officially uh, won. We, we did it. Uh, you know, almost everyone is dead, unfortunately. But uh, also lots of prisoners of war. Somewhere mm-hmm. between 1,200 to 2,000 people are safe because of Guy, specifically. And so uh, they are doing promotions, right? Because that's what you do after the big battles. You give out promotions to the people who have earned them. And most of the promotions, Guy said, is usually by seniority, not so much by, like, your... Like merit. Merit, yeah, like your efforts or whatever. Which makes sense, because it's like, it sucks if you've been there for a long time and just, like, for whatever reason you don't see a lot of action or, like, you're not the best shot in the world or whatever. Right. Um, so it makes sense because like, and the government and especially the army really value loyalty. Um, right. That's why there's like purple hearts and stuff. So they can give little like, good job. Exactly. You did a thing. Yes. And so, um, but Guy says by his seniority at that point, um, he should be getting a promotion. Mm -hmm. Like other people who have been there as long as he have are getting promotions uh, he's sure, and that he expects one also, and uh, he doesn't get one. Mm-hmm. Um, he was like, I feel like I should be a sergeant at least, like a gunnery sergeant, like, come on, um, which is a real low-level sergeant. <laughs> like, I shouldn't be a private anymore. And, uh, no, he doesn't yeah. get promoted. Um, it's so, so strange. I mean, he did a lot of good, but he also, like, disobeyed every order. Yes. So is that it's problematic? Is that who you want? In your high positions? Yeah. It's an issue. I mean, <laughs> I, in, in a way, it is who I would want in my right. position. At the other hand, it's not who the army wants. Right, because they want you to follow the rules, mm-hmm. and he is not following any of the rules. Because um, you have to go quite a way until you don't have anyone above you giving you orders. Yeah. And if, if they promote him, he's just going to be a captain who doesn't follow orders. Well, or he's going to be a sergeant who yeah. doesn't. I mean, it's just like you're going to keep going up. Right. And they can't risk it. It's true. And he's like, he's clearly bummed. Like, even when he's talking about it when right. he's an old man. Like, he's yeah. like, I deserve that. And they didn't give it to me. At the very least, like, um, they should have, like, done it. After the fact, you know? Right. And I think, like, I don't know how into the military he would have been later, but I yeah. think he might have, like, been a career soldier if they had done that. Like, if they had promoted him and been like, oh, yeah, we really appreciate what you did. Right. But since he didn't get one, I think he was like, well, they're not going to promote me ever, mm-hmm. probably. Like, and they pro- like, and I mean, technically, he wouldn't have been allowed in otherwise, except that he spoke Japanese and we were in a terrible war. Right. So I think they also kind of were like, oh, you got to go. Um, he does receive a silver star for his efforts in the war. So it's not like he's completely unrecognized. Uh, he just doesn't get a promotion. Later, uh, after the war, he goes back to Saipan and he lives there for several years. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, he really like, he really wanted to, I think, see it be rebuilt mm-hmm. and like people return. Like he want, I th- and I think he really liked the place and wanted to like to see it alive instead of filled with terrible death. Um, and he even apparently uh, started a youth camp for people, like young people, um, who didn't have a home. 
Um, so they had somewhere to live. Wow, that's and, a, that's the real Captain America. That's yeah, funny. he's a really great person. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, just I have this randomly that he financed a lot of that by raising sheep and goats on the island. <laughs> How cute! Um, and selling the products that he was getting from them. Uh, they made a movie about him in the sixties. Uh, in the six in the late fifties and early sixties, war movies were the most popular movies. World War Two movies. People were obsessed with them. Oh yeah. Um, and so they were everywhere. And there was some movie I don't remember what it's called. I don't remember who's in it. But the guy played himself in the movie. Oh, like they liked that dude so much that they were like, "We don't need an actor. You're gonna do it." Cool. Which is amazing. Uh, not so. <laughs> For Guy Gabaldon. Um, they, the movie is called Hell to Eternity. Whoa. It's really dramatic. They release in 1960, and he's played by a six-foot Caucasian man. Yeah, of course he is. Because that's what a hero looks uh, like. Who else? G.I. Joe. Mm-hmm. Basically. Um, he really liked the movie, though, and he, he really like appreciated it. And, um, like, and I think he liked the actor, too. He was like, I don't think I'd seen him in anything, but he did a really great job. Man, he, he nailed me. Yeah, he, perfect. He looks exactly <laughs> like me. And um, he, they, so My heroic. height is perfect. <laughs> he's six foot tall on the inside. Mm-hmm. He has been nominated for a Congressional Medal of Honor, which is the highest honors you can get in America. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Several times. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has not received one yet. Um, you can get them posthumously, so like maybe they we could give him one. That's balls. They um, should do it when he was alive. They did, however, upgrade him from a silver star to a navy cross once the movie came out. Because uh, then he got a lot of buzz, and sure. so they had to be like, "Well, people know who he is now, and we want to be like we like him." So the yeah. navy cross is the highest one for the Marines. Mm-hmm. Uh, Congressional Medal's highest one for America. Yeah, all of the branches. Um. And they talk about why he doesn't get one, kind of, in, like, really vague terms in the documentary. And basically they say it's because he's really outspoken. Mm. But they never say specifically about what, um, which is strange to me. And also, um, I I didn't look it up. I was going to. But I'm not sure uh, if we have any people who are Hispanic who have received a Medal of Honor. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, maybe that's what he's outspoken about, that he thinks that's the reason, and so they won't sure. give him one because they don't want to be like, well, we're just going to give this to you because we, you think we're racist. <laughs> but then also, like, it's kind of racist. And what so it's a like weird problem that causes itself. <sighs> Awkward. Um, but people are still trying to get him a Congressional Medal of Honor, um, like, even after he died, it was like two years later, there was a petition mm-hmm. to get him one. He met with Newt Gingrich while he was Speaker of the House. Yeah, which, you know, uh, I don't love Newt Gingrich either. But um, he he met with him in, like, I think it was like 1994, and he was like, we're going to get you a Congressional Medal of Honor. Mm-hmm. And obviously didn't. So he's a liar. That's why you're never going to be president, Newt. you're a liar. Newt. <laughs> because you're a little lizard boy. You sound like a disease. Lizard. <laughs> But anyway, you're the real amphibian. Um, but so Newt. even people high up in the government like had a lot of respect for him and really like believe that he deserved one. It sounds like um, not enough, not enough to get him one. Um, and so uh, weird, weird politics. Yeah. So like, if people you know in our podcast who listen here want to you know. If we want to try to do that. Call your Congress people. Possible. Yeah. Start a petition or something if you really think Guy deserves one, because I really do. Yeah. Um, he's, I don't, I've never heard 
of, you know, I don't know a lot of war stories, I'm going to be honest, like specific people, mm-hmm. but I've never heard of someone trying so hard to save people's lives, save the enemy's lives. Right. Like who really, truly cared about everyone and peace was their actual mission. They always say they're on a peacekeeping mission or a peacemaking mission, but like Guy is putting that to the actual like test and right. he's following through beautifully. Um Oh, and on that show he was on, I was talking about, I don't remember what the show was called, but it was like, it was like a surprise show where they would like, they're like, oh, surprise, you're our guest. Like they had a group of people and they'd be like, you're the guest. Oh, you've been punked. Um, kind of, but like in the most positive way possible, because uh, they were like, uh, we flew in your friends like that you grew up with, the Nakanos. Oh um, yeah, I was going to ask like what happened with yeah, them. Yeah, they're still friends or they were friends. He's obviously dead and they're probably dead too or close. Uh, they're really old. But, um, yeah, they stayed friends, and uh, they one of them moved to Hawaii, and they flew him all the way from Hawaii just to visit him on that show and, like, Aww. give them time to hang out. That's um, cute. Which is super cute. And they were, like, they clearly, he was kind of, like, overwhelmed, clearly, like, being on TV, and then also suddenly, like, your friends are here! Um, it's so funny how much taller they are than him. <laughs> <laughs> He's very short compared to the, the his tiniest. two uh, Japanese friends. And they're, like, hugging him and uh, talking about you growing up with him and how cool he was. And it's very cute. Like, they were the ones who were like, oh, yeah, he used to jump out of two-story windows. They say that on TV. He was such a badass. He's so cool. Yeah. Um, And, I mean, I can't imagine that they had anything but admiration for him when he came back. Like, even more, you know, than Mm -hmm. they did before. That he tried so hard to save people and that, like, he had done all of that for them. Right. Like, to get them out of their concentration camp because he didn't, they didn't deserve to be there. That's Guy. Oh, Guy. What a Guy. Too bad about the first name, though. (laughs) Such a weird... It's it's just so funny to me because when I told you his name, you were like, he sounds French or Or Irish. Scottish. Or Scottish. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, nope. No. Not even a little. None of those. No. Like the opposite in every direction. Right. To me, I was like, he sounds Italian to me, but he's also not Italian. But Spanish and Italian names can be really similar to me. (laughs) So. Anyway, thank you for joining us on this hopefully funny... (laughs) episode super funny but i just wanted to highlight someone really cool and um i do think it's like the the idea of him being able to get 800 soldiers to come back with him is kind of hilarious to me right that is in the way that you're like what is happening how how you do this how he's a pied piper he's magic that's how he does it pied guy he's a witch that's why they wouldn't give him a medal. Which guy? He was a witch. Which guy? Who? You know, guy. Who? Which guy? <laughs> Gabaldon. <laughs> the guy. <laughs> the guy. He is the guy. Anyway, please email us at hystericalhistorypodcast at gmail.com. Email us anything. Did you like this episode? If, did you hate this episode? Uh, do you want us to do a different episode about a different topic? Let us know. Do you want to build a snowman? Let us know. We would love to hear about your snowman plans. Um, And if you could leave us a review on iTunes, that would be awesome. And if you do that and you email us and let us know about it uh, and we can see it and confirm that that's happened, we will work with you to do an episode. We will pick it and let you pick the title. Hooray. Hooray. Title. 
so cool. And we'll put a thank you and we'll talk about you every five minutes in the episode. <laughs> It'll be great. Make up positive facts about you. Yeah. Sorry, I get the hiccups. Uh-oh. We better go. Gotta go. Um, Alexis has the hiccups. But please do that. Um, and uh, we think you're great. Boo. Ah! Do you have the hiccups? Scare. I don't actually have hiccups. I worked. Yeah. You, you're welcome. You nail it. <laughs> don't have hiccups today. That's right. Um, save all of the enemy. <laughs> Help them. Yes. Help people. Get into the army when you're 16 today. <laughs> and just... Break all the rules. Be too short for the <laughs> submarine <Marines>. today. <laughs> Not too short for the submarine. It's the perfect size for it. a perforated ear. That's true. Yeah. Don't have a perforated ear today. <laughs> eardrum. Uh, but yeah. Don't do that. Sounds terrible. Don't hurt your eardrums. I always imagine like a lotus, so a lotus root, but it's your eardrum and it's nasty. I don't know what lotus roots look it's like. It's really bad. Okay. Mm. It's kind of like uh, Swiss cheese, but it's a root. Ugh. Yeah. Gross. Uh, yeah, I told you. Anyway, bye. <laughs> bye. 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 bye.